Uh, as we look at today, every year we start off the year with uh, our mission, our mission series, really about who we are, what we are about. When Jesus encountered some religious lawyers, some some legalistic people that think through all the Old Testament laws and they would debate over what was the most important and they would have all these conversations about it and 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 they would not only just what's in the Old Testament but even out of out of what they've added to that in the Talmud and the Mishnah and, and all these other things and, and they would have these conversations and they came to Jesus kind of wanting to see what he would say and, and really kind of hoping they could trip him up a little bit. And they said, which of the commandments is the most important? Because they knew if he picked a side that was seemed more left-wing, then the right-wing people might not like him. And if he picked a side that seemed more right-wing, then the left-wing people might not like him. And they really wanted to trip him up uh, in, in, in really what was honestly a political debate. And so they come to him, and he nails them with, not surprisingly, the perfect answer. Because right, Jesus has a tendency to do that. He either at, ask, when you ask him a question, he either responds with a question or he just nails you with the absolute perfect answer. And so they ask him this question and they say, which is the most important of all the commandments? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look, this wasn't just chicken soup for your soul, something on a coffee mug. These people would have known exactly that he was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, what's called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. They would have known that because the Shema is so central to the Jewish faith that if you go to an Orthodox Jewish home today, you'll see a little plastic tube on the doorpost. And there'll be a little piece of paper in there. And on that piece of paper, it will quote Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here, O Israel, our God is one. That's the Shema here. Shema here. Listen, that, that idea of Shema is not just hear and listen and acknowledge but it is, it is a listening that responds with action, right? It, it's being a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word, Shema. And so when he quotes the Shema, they know that's really the central thing because that's what Deuteronomy 6 tells us, is that's the central idea of the whole book. Love the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so they can't argue against him when he says that. But then he says something else. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19 whenever he does that, which Leviticus 19 talks about how we're to deal with foreigners and aliens and our neighbors and all these people. And you read that. And, and so in a sense, that first one that he quotes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, maybe would have felt like that right-wing, super conservative thing. And then the, the, the other one maybe would have felt like that left-wing, social justice, go out and serve others idea. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, in all the law and the prophets, which is just a code word, a way of saying the entire Old Testament, all the law, everything that the Bible is about, hinges on these two things. The whole thing. The whole thing rests on these two ideas. So it shouldn't be surprising that when we play out our mission, it's love God and love people. Now we've added one to that that we feel is very biblical and a part of the unique calling that God has given us here at Redemption Church. Uh, if you don't know this, in our membership class this morning, we were talking about the history of this church. 
Uh, this church has a great and wonderful history planted by St. John's Baptist Church in the early 1950s, started here uh, on a, in a, in a, under a tent, and then over there behind Sonny's and What's Cooking, there's a little white chapel that's a Pentecostal church now. That they went there, and then they came back here, and we built buildings, and, and we were planted by them and uh, by St. John's Park Baptist Church. But then uh, eventually, through the life cycle of a church, what happens through a lot of churches, the church started to decline, and Hibernia Baptist Church out of Fleming Island took the church on as a campus to replant it, and we uh, spent three years as a campus of Hibernia and replanted as Redemption Church in 2017. But we have had as our goal the whole time that, that we wouldn't wait till we were big and had a great budget and a great staff and a huge church, but we would always be a church that loves the local church and helps other local churches. And, and I've gotten to really see that's always been a part of the DNA of this church. And, and, and that's a heritage thing. That wasn't my idea. That's always been a part of the heritage of this church. And so we've gotten to see that live out in a lot of really great ways. And so we've seen that and in, in, in that we've sent other people to other churches and to go serve, that we've trained people from other churches for replanting, that we're training some for replanting right now, that, that Joe was with us for about a year and we got to send him to South Carolina to go revitalize a church. And, and that this evening at four o'clock, we're gonna, we've been invited to, to worship together with another church. You'll hear more, more about that later. We worship together with other churches sometimes here because this is, listen, this whole thing is not about Redemption Church, but about the kingdom of God. And it's about making much of the name of Jesus Christ. It's one of the phrases we say here a lot. And so when we line out the sermons for January every year, you can, you can set your clock to it. You can know it's going to be, the first sermon is going to be love God. The second one's going to be love his church. The third one's going to be love people. And then the last one is going to be something about centering us either on the word of God, on prayer, or just Christ himself. That centering, that alignment. Because that's kind of what we do in January, isn't it? Like even as people, we, we look and we evaluate our habits, we evaluate our life, and we start to think about man, I need to lose weight. I need to get out of debt. Uh, I'm just talking about myself, but I mean, I don't know what you, you've got going on. Uh, but we look at those things and we look at our habits and we look at what's happening and we, and we make resolutions. And, and I, I'm not going to knock on making resolutions and tell you statistics that they all pretty much fail by February or any of that. But, but, but here, here's, I, I will tell you why. Here's why I think sometimes it doesn't last. And I, w- I want to talk to you today about loving God and, and making it more than a resolution. Uh, w- we, I think, we mistake the difference between, uh, I was reading this in a book called No Silver Bullets by a guy named Daniel M. And he talks about the difference between input goals and output goals. I've talked to some of you about this in, in person. Uh, and it really was eye-opening for me as a pastor. See, Daniel M. talks about at churches, so often we, we hammer on output goals instead of input goals, and it's why we don't get anywhere. So to give you a great analogy, uh, it, it's no secret that, that I, I probably need to make losing weight a resolution. And I think I do every year. Um, and sometimes I do it, and then I just get it all back. And you've seen that happen in the last six years here. Um, and, and so, but here, imagine this. Imagine if every time we sat down to talk, you would look at me and you would say, Jimbo, you need to lose weight. I, I would probably quit hanging out with you if, like, if that's what you told me every time we hung out, right? 
Because for several reasons. One, right, like, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. You're telling the truth. You're not saying anything that's, that's not true. But it's not something I need you to, like, remind me about all the time. Especially not if we're going out to lunch and I just ordered a bacon cheeseburger with some fries. Like, no, that's a wrong time to bring that up to me, right? But, but here's the other problem with that. And here's the point that Daniel M. makes is, is if all you're pointing to is an output goal, you, you need to lose weight. Well, losing weight's not something you can just do. You have to make some other decisions, some input goals that lead to that. And so if you were to say, okay, well, instead, let's talk about exercise, how much we're going to exercise. Let's talk about counting calories, how much we're going to eat, what we eat, what kind of food we eat. Let's track those things and let's make some goals on those things. Those are input goals that then produce the output goal. Are you tracking with me? Okay. In our spiritual walk, We hear things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we go, that would be great. How do I do that? Right? That's an output goal is what I want to argue today. And so I want to tell you that more than a resolution, more than just an activity, more than just a goal, this idea of loving God requires some input goals, some, some things that you do with the end goal in mind of increasing your affection for the Lord. And I think it'll change things for you. See, I don't know about you. Some of you are really strange breed of people that enjoy exercise. I don't understand it. Like, I, understand, I believe you. I don't think you're lying to me. But sure, whatever. I, I have never in my life enjoyed exercise. So you want to know what? I will never exercise for the sake of exercise ever. Not going to happen. You're never going to see me going, I just want to exercise. I would love to do something that I feel produces nothing immediately, right? (laughs) No, like I have a hard time. I like immediate results. I like to enjoy myself. I don't enjoy, which is part of why I need to make a resolution to lose weight. But so what I, what I found is if I exercise because you're supposed to exercise, it's not going to last long. But if I continually keep in mind, because here's the other thing, I'm not a vain person. I don't care that I'm overweight. When I look in the mirror, I'm not disgusted, frustrated, or disappointed. I don't care. So that's not a motivation. Some people, they do. And so you put a picture up and you think, I, I got to quit looking like this. I don't care how I look. I've been, married for almost, I've been married almost 16 years. She's happy. I'm happy. We're good. But here's what I do think about. I do think about when I have grandkids one day and I want to have the energy to run around and hang out with them. I think about the, the, when, when my kids finally move out of the house one day. I love them, but when they move out of the house one day and I get to hang out with just my wife and we get to have those empty nest times that some people dread, but I, I, I'm, I love my wife and I'm looking forward to some time where we just get to do whatever we want to do. Go to bed when we want to go to bed, travel, all those things. But I need to be healthy when that time arrives. I need to be healthy when those grandkids get here. I need to be healthy enough to play with my kids and those things. Now, I start thinking about those goals. I start thinking about how long I want my ministry to last and that I don't want my ministry to get cut short one day because I didn't take care of myself. I start thinking about those goals, those output goals, and it motivates me to eat a little bit less, work out a little bit more, right? And the same thing spiritually. We have to have the right goals in mind. It's more than a resolution. When we talk about loving God, when we break this out into our mission statement, 
The way we say it is love God with a high view of him by and through his word. This is how you live that out. You love God by having a high view of God. When we realize how great he is, it will increase our affection. I'm convinced the more you actually get to know God, not the ideas of God, not stories about him, but get to know him personally, intimately, the more you will fall in love with him. I'm convinced that that's how this works, because at least that's how I've seen it work in my life. I feel like that's what the Bible teaches us. That's how I've seen it play out in other people's lives. The more our affection increases for him, the more we get to know him, the more our affection increases about him. So how do we get to know him more? Well, in just the most general sense, by and through his word. So when we make our New Year's resolution... I'm going to read the entire Bible in, in, in the year, which is a great resolution. Uh, if that's it, if that's the end, if that's the goal, I don't know, that, even if you accomplish it, if that's, the, if that's the motivation, if that's why you're, I don't know that it's going to get you real far, right? The, the motivation, the goal we've got to understand is that I'm trying to get to know God himself. I'm not just trying to gain information. This is not an academic or intellectual exercise. This is, this is relationship. This is me and the creator of the universe talking back and forth to each other, hearing from his inspired word of God, and letting that transform my life, my mind, my heart, my hands. That gets built out in habits. When we talk about discipleship here at Redemption Church, we, that's what we talk about is, is that we need to have a renewed mind, a transformed heart uh, that needs to play out with action in our hands. But all of that is fueled by good habits. As a matter of fact, if you look in our membership book, you'll even see it illustrated with this symbol, right? And so we have this symbol here, and you'll see that with our head, with our heart, with our hands, and then the fire in the middle is our habits that fuel, that give that passion, that give that motivation, that, that keep us going. The habits aren't the goal. Reading your Bible every day is not the goal. Getting to know Jesus deeply is the goal. We all have habits, every one of us. Hopefully, most of you brush your teeth more than once a day. Take a shower once a day. Uh, some of you will go for a run or hit the gym every morning. Uh, but we can also acquire bad habits, chewing our nails, or the end of a pen or something like that. In psychology today, it says, habit formation is the process by which new behaviors become automatic. Old habits are hard to break and new habits are hard to form. That's because the behavioral patterns we repeat most often are literally etched into our neural pathways. Now, that's good news and it's bad news. It's bad news because we have habits that we don't need to have, but they are hardwired into our brain. Now, the, the great news is the Bible says our mind can be renewed, right? But 
it's not just going to happen because you say so. You're going to have to find some real motivation. You're going to have to be very intentional. You've probably noticed if you ever tried to beat a habit or develop a, a new good habit, uh, it's a very hard thing to do. Um, and when it comes to our spiritual walk, you're, you're literally in, in battle with your old self, with your flesh, with your sinful desires. And you, you got to put to death the old man, Paul says, that, that still wants to rule you and, and, and still tells you how, like you're free, here's the, you're free from it, but you act like you're not. Same here. I mean, not, I'm not pointing to you. I'm pointing to me too. We, we're free from those old habits, but yet we still, see, we have the power in the gospel. When you've taught your brain and your body and your soul to respond to all your circumstances with thankfulness and prayer and dependence and the word, it can transform everything about you. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a pew somewhere around you that says the story on top of it. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as, as a gift, as a New Year's gift. You can have it if you'll read it, um, especially the first about eight to nine pages in the front uh, that are glossy colored. It kind of tells you the whole grand story of the Bible. We'd love for you to read through that, and I'd love to discuss that with you if you'd like. Um, so as we look at this passage today, I want to talk to you about some input goals that can help you attain the output goal of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you would, stand with me as we read God's Word, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It's on page 817 in the Story Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would increase the affection in our hearts. Lord, that like the word Shema, we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. God, I'm begging you, let, let your word transform us this morning. Lord, I need this. I need you to keep transforming me more and more into your image. Lord, we need this as, as your bride here as a local church. We need you to continually transform us, increase our affection for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here are some input goals or activities 
mindsets that can help you. One, rejoice more. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. Oh, man, that was good. I like that. So rejoice more. We love to complain. We do. Have you ever, so try this out, a little social experiment for you. When you go to a checkout place, if you can still find a checkout place, and they're not making you do the self-checkout, if you can find that one cash, cashier, right? Like, and I would encourage you to do that. En- encounter people. Don't, don't isolate. Man, when you go out in public, encounter people. Don't, don't go to the self-checkout. Stand in line. Talk to the people in line. Talk to the lady up front. That's a whole other talk. But when you get there, there's a little social experiment for you. Ask, ask the person at the register, how's your day going? 99 times out of 100, I can promise you I know what they'll respond with. It'll be a lot better when I get off work at insert time. I, I do it all the time. And for, for years, that's the response I almost always get. I'll be doing a lot better once I get off work at, and then you figure out what time they get off work. If you ever want to know what time somebody gets off work, just say, how's your day going? <laughs> we love to complain. We love to gripe. We love to, uh, for whatever reason, I guess it makes us feel validated in some way, or, or maybe we, we need sympathy, and, and, and maybe we're like, our love tank is empty, and we're just needing somebody to like feel sorry for us, and it makes us feel better when we do that. Man, Rejoice. Find some things to be happy about. Find some things to praise God about. Get a journal out. Write out everything you did today and find out what are the things I can rejoice about. I promise you there are things. The fact that you're here right now, today, even though everything else in your world outside of where you're sitting right now may be in shambles, you get to sit in fellowship with other children of God and worship the creator of the universe in freedom. Amen? Amen. Rejoice in just that, if nothing else. But I promise you, you can look beyond that, and you can find things to rejoice. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't say, rejoice, you know, when things aren't too bad. No, he's writing this from prison. And he says, rejoice always. If you read the verses before this in chapter 4, he's talking about uh, a little dispute between some ladies in the church. That's been going on for a long time. And he says, rejoice always. Always rejoice in the Lord again. And I love he says, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say, just to make it real clear to you, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. This is how we help ourselves fall more in love with Jesus as we look and we find the blessings that God has given us instead of focusing on the negatives instead of focusing on all the things that aren't the way that we want them to be listen I know your life has pain and turmoil in it I know it does I absolutely know I may not even know the details some of you I do some of you I don't but I know this you're not alone you're not alone in that Our Lord walked this earth and dealt with great temptations. Our our Lord gave you the body of Christ to do life with. And probably, even in a church that's not huge, I, I bet you whatever you're struggling with, there's somebody else in here that's had that same problem. I, I just, I can guarantee it almost. I know within the body of Christ that's true. And we get through it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Thomas Chalmers says, the love of the world cannot be removed by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. So if you didn't get that, it was too long. Let me summarize. Just looking at how bad the world is is not going to remove your affection for the world. The Bible says in Proverbs, like a dog that returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Look, after you do something stupid, you recognize it's stupid, don't you? Yeah, like you do it and you're like, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that again? But as you're about to do something stupid, you get blinded. And for whatever reason, it gets real appealing at the moment. And like a dog that returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his father. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad we make your sin look, how bad we make this world look. That is not enough to beat it. You have to expel that with a greater affection for the Lord than you have for the world. You have to. As a matter of fact, James chapter 4, verse 4, James, Jesus' half-brother, says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. James is telling us that you can't love the world and love God. Like you can't do both. And so you have to expel the love of the world with the love of God. As that happens, what's the next input goal, the input activity, the thing that you can do? You can shine your light. This has been kind of our theme for this. We've decided for 2020 is better together, pushing back the darkness, being light in the darkness. This is one of the things that will increase your affection for the Lord. Here, here's how, when you live out your faith for the benefit of those around you, it will only increase your faith and affection. It's not like you run out because you gave it to somebody else. It's, it actually works the opposite way. The more you give out, the stronger it grows. I would argue there's no greater way to grow in your affection for the Lord than to share it with others. And I'm not just talking evangelism, although I'm not, not talking evangelism. I'm talking just being a shining light, being that rejoicing voice, being that encouraging person, being that helpful person that serves and walks alongside others, but also being the one that shares the good news of the gospel with others and all the ways that we shine this light. So as we look at this verse, where am I getting this? In verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Now this is, the word there for reasonableness is really hard to translate into English. And so if you've got a King James, I think it says moderateness. Um, and in other ones, it says other versions, different things. This is one of those, I've, I think I've taught you before, if you want to know where things are hard to translate, if you'll read a verse in about five different translations, and if you'll see it come up with four or five different ways to say it, that means it's something that's hard to communicate in English. This is one of those words. You read in a bunch of different translations, you're going to see a lot of different words used for that word there for reasonableness. The idea is... is I still don't even really know how to clearly communicate it in English. It's this idea of um, charitableness, reasonableness, uh, calmness, like the world can't affect me, unshakableness, like 
uh, peacefulness that just shines a light in the midst of struggle. So when it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the idea here is, is Paul's acknowledging we lived in a broken, messed up world. We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world where, yes, you're leaving here and probably walking into all kinds of craziness within your family. Hey, just so you know, I don't know if a single family doesn't have some level of craziness in it. Uh, as a pastor, you get to look into some things that not everybody gets to look into. I've not yet met a family that I'm like, man, every one of them, they've got it all together. None of you. None of you, including myself. None of us have it all together. And our families don't have it all. We all have pain and struggle and heartbreak and difficulty. And in the middle of that, if we can be centered, centered in our love for God, it, it, like, it steadies us in a way that the world can't quite understand. I want to tell you, it's at those moments that the world really starts to wonder what this is all about. It's not when everything's going great and we praise God. It's not when you hoist the Super Bowl trophy and, and point to the Lord. I think about this with our beloved Jaguars, with, with Nick Foles. He's a strong believer, and he'll tell you, he got to win a Super Bowl, right? And, and, and he got to hold the trophy, and he got to point to God. I would argue, I don't know him, I don't get to talk to him, but I would argue that right now he has a better opportunity to shine a light for Jesus Christ than when he held that trophy up. Because right now, as he's in that locker room and he's getting benched for some young kid and he won a Super Bowl trophy and then got cut from the team and, and then comes to this other team, gets hurt, and now he's getting benched. And even when he came back in, he got benched again because after he got in, all this stuff. But I guarantee you, he has a greater opportunity right now to let his reasonableness be known to everyone in that locker room. It's not at the glimmering, shining, man, everything's going great in my life, and all praise be to God. Man, give God praise at that time, but that's easy. That's easy to do. Just watch any award show. Actors, athletes, musicians, anybody. They're almost all going to say, I want to thank God, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. Then they walk off the stage and nothing in their life looks like they love Jesus. But what about that moment when somebody's struggling, the world is beating them to a pulp, their marriage is falling apart, their finances are like crazy, they're going through death in their family and sickness, and they still stand firm, unshaken, and say, praise be to God. It's at that moment that we see something real. Now he says, let your reasonableness known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand, because Jesus is coming back. Listen, that ought to be our motivation too. Let your reason go shine your light because Jesus is coming back. There are a lot of people that are still in the dark and they need the light that you have. And Jesus is coming back. So shine your light. Next, we prayerfully pursue peace. Look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. anything? What about when I look at the bills that are due and the money in the bank account 
and the math just flat doesn't work. I mean, I feel like that's a good time to be anxious. When the eviction notice gets taped to your door, that's like, that's not a bad time to be anxious, I wouldn't think. When, when you get the cancer diagnosis, that's a time that you're going to feel anxious. But here, listen, this is, hear this right. This is not beating you up for those moments. It's offering you hope, even in those moments. It's not beating you up for being anxious when the world starts to crumble around you, but offering you hope that you don't have to stay there. The Lord will never beat you up for where you are. Now, He'll let you walk into a buzzsaw on your own, but that's your own doing. But He'll never beat you up. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So he's acknowledging you're going to have moments where anxiety is going to rise. And he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The, The more you get to know God, like intimately, like in a relationship, the more comfortable you're going to become taking your anxieties to him. If, if it's just transactional and you're only going to him when you have anxieties and when you have struggles and when you have requests, it, it's going to feel stale. I'll just be like, if, if that's the whole relationship, it's this transactional, Lord, I, I went to church because things are going bad in my life and so I'm coming and I, I gave, I, you know, I gave you a little scratch on the back. Now, if you'll give me a little scratch on the back, I've got this need. I've got this thing creating anxiety, this thing causing problems. If you could just deal with that. Now, listen, pursue affection for the Lord. Get to know Him. Let Him just build that intimacy, and it'll be a lot more natural and comfortable because He will become your refuge, the Bible says, your, your safe place, your safe haven that you can kind of run to always. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. That word for guard is like garrison. It's a military term. Like it's going to build a fort around your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do we... How do we love God more in the midst of difficulty? We pursue the peace of God that can't be explained. Now, I want to be clear. I am not in any way ascribing to the belief that some do that if you have clinical depression or anxiety, that that is your sinfulness. Um. Listen, we, we live in a broken world that some of the difficulties in your life are a result of your sinful choices. Some of the difficulties in your life are a result of the sinful choices of others around you, and you are being impacted by those. And some are the result of just the fact that this world itself is broken. The way our minds work is broken. The way our bodies work is broken. We weren't designed to die. We weren't designed to have anxiety. We weren't designed to have these things. 
And so I know I don't desire to lay upon you guilt if, if you have clinical depression, although I do believe that even in that, there, there is a miraculous peace and hope in Christ that, that no medicine, no doctor can offer. Um, doesn't mean if you need to see a doctor, see a doctor. But see, I would highly encourage you to see one that loves Jesus and loves the Word of God um, and understands the peace that Christ offers. In the Bible, the Apostle Paul describes the process of sanctification or, or our growing up in Christ like a marathon. Uh, and, and earlier in Philippians, in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. Paul has spent his adult life serving Jesus. And, and even though he's an apostle and he's like this kind of like mega Christian uh, in our eyes, he has matured and grown in his walk with Jesus over time. Remember that. Paul didn't start out as the guy in prison writing Philippians. Paul didn't start out as the guy with peace beyond understanding. Paul started out as a dude with a lot of anxiety. Freaked out by a, an appearance of Jesus that blinded him. And then a whole season off in the wilderness being grown by Christ. And then over time, God brought him to this point where his ministry was to be in prison. And I will always point out this. Because you need to hear this. His ministry was to be in prison. The reason we have the book of Philippians today is because Paul went to prison. Now, I imagine if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, this is like the, I mean, Lord, you've gifted me with the ability to plant churches and lead people to you and disciple people and develop leaders, and here you've stuck me in a hole by myself. But while he was in that hole, he wrote stuff that we get to study today, that thousands of years later, we're being impacted, that God is using to transform. The Holy Spirit spoke through him in that moment. So although you may be in a, a season of life that feels like prison right now, that feels like punishment, that feels like you can't understand why God would have you where he has you in the season he has you, don't mistake that he's a whole lot smarter than you. Like a whole lot smarter than you. And he, he knows what he's doing. So trust him where he's put you. Right here, where he's put you in your life, at your work, with your family, at, you, at your neighbors, your sphere of influence, your friends. God put you there. And he has a reason and purpose for you to live out in that. In fact, earlier, even before that in Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Our sanctification, our spiritual growth is not a sprint. It's not a, it's not a, not a quick dash. It's not something you can take care of today and be done with. It's, it's a long, long, long marathon with twists and turns, and it's not about speed. You hear me? It's not about speed. It's about endurance. About perseverance. Finish the race by winning today. One day at a time. Just today. 
What has God given you to do today? Do you have anxieties about today? Cast them onto the Lord. Spend time with Him. Like, look, cast them. You got to think about like cast your anxieties on the Lord is not just this flippant idea. It's it's really this idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend time talking to Jesus and I'm gonna name out the things that are causing me anxiety and I'm gonna ask, Lord, I, I'm stressed out about this situation in my life and I can't. It's 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 overwhelming me. And I, I just need you to have it. I'm asking you to take it, Lord. And the problem is, he allows us to take it back anytime we want. And like a dog that returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. For whatever dumb reason, we just take it back. So Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow me, then you take up your cross and deny yourself daily. Daily, we have to constantly... I don't know, it should have been written maybe hourly, minutely, secondly. Like, I have to do it a lot. Throughout the day, I have to remind myself, Lord, you've got to have, this is not mine. I, need, I can't control this. I've got to hand this to you. It, look, I'm going to tell you, I can tell you from experience, there will be a peace that you can't explain if you start doing that. Lastly, like with any good output goal, healthy diet and exercise. What you do, what you eat matters, right? In the same way, spiritually, what we consume, what we eat mentally and spiritually, and what we exercise, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our lives, our minds, our souls, affects our growth. And so he says, finally, brothers... So in addition with all that, let's cap it off with this. Here's what you've got to do. Finally, brothers, listen to this list. Whatever is true, true, not speculation, not opinion, not preference, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is what we feast on. This is what we eat. This is the fruits and vegetables and healthy food of your soul and your life. So as you consume TV, books, social media, conversations, thoughts, this is your filter. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? If not, stop wasting your time. Just like nothing I eat that goes in my body is neutral, except for celery. Kind of neutral. That's where the analogy falls apart. But if, if I eat things, even if I'm going, I just wanted to enjoy that, right? It still, it still counts in the calories that went in my... Look, what was my birthday? What was New Year's? What was Thanksgiving? What was, what was Tuesday? 
Thursday's Burger Thursday at La Bodega, and that's a great burger. You know, we can come up with all these excuses, all these reasons, all these things, and, 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 and we can give all these things, but it still, it still affects the way my body works. Listen, the same thing with your mind. What you watch, what you listen to, what you talk about, what you think about, what you read, what you consume, what you do on social media, what you do with video games, what you do with any conversations that you have with work or with your family, your friends, all those things. Are, you're consuming those things, and they are affecting your spiritual growth. They're either growing you healthier and more in love with Jesus or not. Nothing is neutral. There is no spiritual celery. It doesn't count. Everything changes the way we live. And then he says in verse 9, the guy writing from prison, the guy who has great strength in the Lord, the guy who lives out peace beyond understanding, the guy who is lived out of faith that has shaken the world all the way to us, says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. I'm not saying this. this is not Jimbo's voice. This is Paul's voice. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Practice. Exercise. Intentionally, consistently do these things. This will not happen on accident. This will not happen if you just say, I need to love God more. This will not happen because you do a five-minute devotional every morning. This will not happen because you attend church every Sunday. This will not happen because you read the entire Bible in a year. This will not happen if you read the entire Bible in 90 days. This will happen if you practice all these things. And not practice them in legalistic so you can check the box and say, here's the activities that I did. But if you practice these things with the intended goal of falling more in love with God. And as you fall more in love with God, it will transform you. And you will find a peace that the world can't understand. And I'm here to say, whatever that problem is, whatever those shambles you're walking into, whatever your resolutions, whatever the things you need God to help you work on this year, you can't do it. He can. And the way he does it is through this. You fall more in love with him by a high view of him, by and through his word, and he will transform you by the renewal of your mind, by increasing your affection for him in your heart, it will play out in your hands, but it's got to be fueled by good habits. And habits happen on purpose. Good habits do. Bad habits happen on accident. Good habits happen on purpose. So on purpose this year, pursue increasing your affection for the love of Jesus. If that's my only accomplishment as your pastor, hear me, I, I count it as... Great win. If, if you love Jesus more this time next year, and I got to be any part of that, I count it as a win. Done. Check. Win column. I love it. If, if our attendance never increases by a single number, but we all increase in our affection for the Lord, I count it as a win. It's a successful year. But I'll tell you, if we all fall more in love with Jesus, it's going to play out. 
and seeing more people come to know Jesus Christ. But the goal isn't filling the baptistry. The goal isn't just seeing numbers of people getting saved. The goal is us falling more in love with Jesus and carrying that love out to others and letting the love of Jesus transform their lives, not just punch a ticket so they can say they're going to heaven. But let Jesus change your life and your life change those around you. Let's pray.